One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, hoping you all had a lovely weekend from a sporting point of view. If you were into Super Bowl, well, anyone's into Super Bowl, I imagine, isn't listening. They're probably in the land of nod and fast asleep. But of course, uh, closer to home, we had a wonderful, wonderful game of rugby yesterday. And to me, the photograph from that rugby match has got to be the one that's making a lot of the papers uh, today. And it's one of our own. It's in a Shannon's Jack Crowley with a big beaming smile on his face as he scored Ireland's opening try against uh, Italy yesterday in the Guinness Six Nations uh, Championship at the Aviva Stadium. It's just a super, super photograph of uh, Jack Crowley. And I know we're only two games in to the current uh, championship, but we are sitting on top of the table. Ireland has a maximum of 10 points. We're two ahead now of our nearest challengers, our nearest challengers being England. But we also have an incredible healthy points differential. We're plus 57 at the moment. So is it too early to dream of what would be our first ever back-to-back grand uh, slams? Now we can dream, but I suppose with the team that we have at the moment, it really could be a reality uh, this year. So well done to Jack Crowley from Inishan and one of the stars of the match yesterday. And I think the other little star of the match yesterday has got to be that little lad, Stevie Mulrooney from uh, Kilkenny who sang Ireland's Call at the start of the match and he just sang it with such passion and the way he had his hand on his heart and he meant every single word that he was singing. It was just uh, super and he of course had been, previously had been on the Late Late Toy uh, show but uh, he didn't uh, he didn't seem nervous or anything standing out there in front of that huge, huge crowd. So well done to uh, Stevie and also well done to Donica White from Castlehaven. Um, he was one of the mascots with the Irish rugby team uh, yesterday and that was a big, big uh, honour for him. And talking of photographs that make the papers uh, today, there's wonderful, There's a wonderful set of uh, photographs. I think it's, it's in the it's in a lot of the papers, but I think the photographs I'm looking at are the ones from the Irish Times. Uh, yeah, and it's the photographs photographs of a 75-year-old Tipperary grandmother by the name of Mary MacDonald. Now, she has a fear of heights, but she's been photographed doing a skydive 
from 13,000 feet and she did it yesterday and after the jump she said she did it for Gaza. Uh, Mary is a retired nurse from Nina in County Tipperary. Now she jumped with her son Mike to raise funds and to raise awareness for the victims of the Israeli bombardment of Gaza that uh, followed the October 7th attack by Hamas and Mary along with her son Mike has managed to raise more than €27,000 to date by doing this skydive. And then when she was asked about it afterwards, she said, I didn't like it, not one second of it. I didn't expect to like it, but I did it and I did it for the men, the women and the children who are losing their lives in the horror that goes on every minute in uh, Gaza. That's what she said afterwards. Then she said that when they initially set out to do this fundraising skydive for Gaza, she said they'd hoped if they raised, you know, about €2,000, but she said they're already well over €27,000 and a GoFundMe page appeal actually is still open and I think with the amount of publicity she's getting in all of the papers today that 27000 figure will probably go even higher and it's going to go to Medical Aid for Palestinian and Palestinian uh, Children's Relief Fund so well done to Mary MacDonald I think you know as a 75 year old it's a fantastic achievement to do a skydive but bless her heart to, to, to hear her say she was afraid of heights and she didn't even enjoy it because you know a lot of people say oh I was nervous at the start but then I loved every minute of it but she was very honest saying she was very nervous before she was very nervous at the jump and she was nervous throughout so the relief when she finally hit the ground in one place congratulations uh, to her 0818 103 103 and I also have to mention that really really sad story that we touched on on Friday when the news broke that a little boy had been found uh, dead de- close to Dunmore East and of course the papers now all have photographs of little Matthew Purcell Healy beautiful beautiful little seven six year old boy that gorgeous smile and beautiful eyes and just, I mean I, I'm, I'm assuming it's a school photograph and just his whole life uh, ahead of him and just think of his family and what his family are going through and what they will go through into the future and detectives now are hoping to receive medical clearance sometime to day in order to question the 38-year-old woman about the precise circumstances in, in which little Matthew died in the early hours of Friday morning. Now, the woman who was known to the child uh, was arrested at uh, just close to Dunmore East, where the little boy was found unresponsive, soaking wet, was wearing his school uniform and he was in the back of a par- parked car. Now, because obviously his clothes were soaking wet, it was initially thought that he had drowned, but detectives now believe he died from some kind of an asphyxiation. The woman was found at the scene in a very distressed state. Detectives are now examining whether an event that happened earlier on Thursday is linked to her highly emotional condition. It's understood the woman had been extremely agitated and extremely upset for several weeks over this this matter that was scheduled to conclude and did conclude last Thursday. A funeral mass for the little senior infant's pupil is going to be held in Watergrass Hill because uh, his little body has just been uh, released to his father and his father is uh, James Healy from uh, Watergrass uh, Hill and that's where the funeral uh, is expected to uh, or will take place and I know his uh, dad uh, expressed his deep gratitude for the several vigils that were held for his son Matthew um, uh, throughout Waterford across the uh, weekend and the details of the funeral which will be held in Watergrass Hill will be uh, published uh, soon. 
Um, it's just such a sad case and seemingly how it, how it how it unfolded, uh, according to Ralph Regan in The Independent uh, today. The, the woman was in a very distressed uh, state and was in this Rathmoylan area, which is just close to uh, Dunmore It was shortly before midnight, Thursday into Friday morning. And because of the her behaviour, it prompted locals to raise the alarm. Like one householder told Gardaí that this woman was screaming on the roadway and saying that something had happened to her child. The resident was so concerned that she immediately rang the Gardaí. Then she handed the phone to the woman, the woman because the woman had been knocking on local doors and windows, desperately looking for help. Now, she had a few panicked words with the operator on the line, but then she handed the phone back and then she left the scene. Then the Gardaí uh, arrived at the scene, the woman was found a distance away from a parked uh, car. She was soaking wet. She was only wearing her pyjamas and a dressing gown. And then, unfortunately, Matthew was found lying unresponsive in his school uniform in the back of the parked uh, car. Now, he did receive emergency medical attention immediately at the scene from Gardaí and then from paramedics who then rushed him to University Hospital Waterford. But despite their best attempts to, to stabilise him, he was pronounced dead at uh, 2 a.m on uh, Friday morning. His death obviously has shocked the community in Waterford and I think it's shocked the entire country. I think I, I spoke to a number of people at the weekend and it was one of the first things people were talking about how sad the case was for Waterford and then of course it came out that there was a court connection because his dad is uh, from Waterford, 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 Watergrass Hill. Now hundreds seemingly attended a special vigil on Saturday night. That was the one that was organised by the Bishop of Waterford and Liz Moore but prayers seemingly were offered at all masses in Waterford, uh, Waterford City and County uh, yesterday. And of course, he was a pupil at the local Faith Leg Primary School. Now, counselling support has been provided by the Department of Education because you think today of all his little classmates and all the little friends and their families, you know, they're going into school today and his desk is empty and you just think what the what's going through their little minds. Uh, the principal of the school described Matthew as a beloved member of the school uh, community. He seemingly adored sport and he'd only recently joined the local football club where he played under sevens. And you can imagine the excitement of joining the, the local football club as Park Rangers and getting on the under sevens team and the excitement that would have come with that. And actually that the, that little club actually cancelled all their matches over uh, the weekend. But Gardaí today hoping to receive that medical clearance uh, to question uh, the woman. Uh, it's just such a sad, sad case and our thoughts are with uh, the Healy and the Purcell families who just are what they must be going through and as I say what they will go through into the future. It's just utterly, utterly heartbreaking. May little Matthew rest in peace. Your next big way to win starts next Monday here on C103. We've got thousands, believe me, it's thousands in free money up for grabs. How do you do it? When you need to snap the app. We want you to download the C103 app to your phone and then snap a screen shot of it. Then stay listening for your chance to win and we'll need you to WhatsApp in that particular photograph. If we call you back, uh, you're in for a daily draw with Martina and free money will be given away starting next Monday and the free money is €500 Euro per day starting next Monday. But snap the app, download the C103 app today if you haven't already done it and be ready to play from next Monday, February the 19th only on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie 
Cork Today on C103. Now last week we discussed some concerns about bed closures at Clonakilty Community Hospital with patients moving from existing units to the newly opened 20-bedded Silverwood unit. West Cork Fianna Fáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan says there is no need for concern as the hospital is not being downgraded and Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, I don't know if anybody felt that the the hospital was being downgraded, but some felt the patients were just moving and therefore no additional patients would be facilitated at the hospital. What exactly have you been told is going on there? Yeah, well, f- well first of all, in, in relation to, I suppose, um, <clears throat> some of the coverage last week and, and uh, you know, local newspapers, etc. There was a lot of fear uh, amongst the community, uh, certainly here in Clannacilty. The people of Clannacilty hold the community hospital very, very dear. It's it's everything for them. They have had family members uh, perhaps care there. Maybe they do have family care, um, members in there, or maybe they will in the future have family members in there. So the, the hospital is absolutely everything. It's it's really the heartbeat of the community. And I think there was, a, um, I suppose, a, 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 a an idea or a kind of a... a a perception out there that some of the wards were closing. For example, uh, I think there was a perception that maybe the Docus ward and the Crean ward would, would both be uh, closed and wouldn't be accepting any further patients. Now, this caused a lot of stress amongst the community. And we had people contact our office who were wondering why Clannacilty Hospital was being downgraded, um, why there was beds closing, why the wards were closing. And we kind of had to manage it from there. And, and straight away, look, I mean, obviously we take any um, concerns that are raised very seriously. So we try to get... Um, uh, clarification straight away from the HSC and very quickly we find out that, that indeed that that was not the case and in fact uh, last week last Wednesday was a, a really really positive day for um, Clannacilty for the hospital there and for, for the whole wider community in West Cork because you know it's not just the people of Clannacilty that it serves uh, and in fact the case is that the, the new Silverwood, Silverwood um, unit which is an absolutely incredible uh, unit uh, just opened in Clannacilty that was opened and residents were moved from Docus, so Docus would be. I'll, I'll try. I'll try maybe give a rundown of, of what's in the hospital, just to kind of, I suppose, get a better picture of, of what's there. Uh, you have uh, the the Docus ward, which would be mixed. You'd have long term patients, but you'd also have some dementia care there as well. You'd have Searsha, the Searsha ward, which is uh, very much dementia specific, and then you have uh, the Crean the Crean ward, which is um, a mix as well. Um, so uh, patients in the main were being moved from the Docus ward into uh, the Silverwood. Yeah, the, so the we, we, we were told 16 in total because there was 16 beds 16 plus the beds, four exactly. Pacific ones. So did 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 eight come from the Docus Ward and eight from the Carina Ward or what was the breakdown? Uh, there, there was some, not, not a full eight came from the, the Docus Ward. There were some came from the Docus Ward, but there's also some of those beds are being filled from the existing waiting list that is there. Um, so that's partially the, the, what happened. But there was then, of course, beds freed up in the Docus Wards. And, and, and that's important to remember. But I think there was a perception out there that those beds wouldn't be filled, that those beds would be um, almost, uh, that there'd be some kind of blocking going on. But actually, as we speak, those beds are being filled both by patients from CUH or from from uh, coming from CUH, or from the existing waiting list that is there. So as, as okay, you can imagine, so as soon as yeah, so as soon as patients moved out, there's new patients moving in, which is great news. Exactly. Then, then what, but, but what, about, ab- what about the to be, ab- to be to be absolutely upfront with people, though, I mean, there is an element of renovation as well going on. So I mentioned the Korean Award as well. Yeah. 
uh, in Clonakilty Hospital. Uh, so there are obviously beds in there, and there, there is an element of, of renovation going on in there. This is absolutely normal normal practice, especially when a part of a ward is freed up because you've opened up a new unit and, and 16 beds have become available in, in Silverwood. This presented an opportunity to, to renovate. But they will be reopened within weeks, and some of those beds, another really important um, service that is provided in uh, Clonakilty Community Hospital. So I mentioned the long-stay beds, I mentioned the dementia care, there's also respite. There's uh, respite, and spe- specifically, uh, mainly for, for uh, female residents. Um, so that's a really important element. And Crina will have three new respite beds, which will bring the total amount of respite beds up to seven. Brilliant. But do you know do you know why while the renovations are going on, Christopher? How many beds at Crina are out of action until the renovations are completed? But my understanding is, and I double-checked this this morning because I knew that that would be one of the questions that you would ask. So the total amount of registered beds at the moment in Clannacilty Immune Hospital, after all the HICWA uh, investigations, etc., is 108 beds. And there will be still 108 beds registered within, w- within the hospital. So they will be accommodated within the hospital, is my understanding. And then when Crina reopens again, uh, there will be obviously a, a, a kind of a, a, re, a new layout in terms of, of where those beds are. So there's still 108 beds beds registered there's no loss of beds and as i said before so that 108 is is that a 20 increase when you look at the 20 beds at 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 silverwood what was that number 88 and it's now gone to 108 it's it's gone back up to 108 i don't know what the previous number was but they have returned uh, to their pre-covid levels which which was 108 no it must be said as well and i think that this this has to be stated previously um, Clannacilty Community Hospital had well in excess of that. Um, but obviously, the the kind of system of care changes, the approach to care has changed. So, for example, it would have been quite common in many of our community hospitals to have five, six, seven beds, perhaps within one room. Um, HICWA, for, for maybe good reasons in some instances, decided that that was not an appropriate um, uh, approach to care. So what you actually have in Silverwood now is 16 single rooms. So it's, there, there's no shared rooms in, in, in Silverwood. Um, which is, which is actually, fantastic. But you straight away think, is there additional staff? Uh, because that was one of the points that was made to us last week from, the, from one uh, staff member, that when you have these individual rooms, it puts extra pressure on staff. Whereas if you're walking into a ward with five or six beds, you know, it's easier to keep an eye on everyone. Whereas if you're in and out of individual rooms, have they taken on additional staff at Clannacilty Community Hospital? Yeah. And, and like that's that's a very valid concern. And, you know, I do understand, obviously, um, staff are, are as, as was correctly pointed out in the media, they're, they're working under protest and, and, uh, to open up, to, to facilitate opening up the new, new ward. And we have to think of staff, we have to think of nurses here. Right across Ireland, uh, nurses and staff are under serious pressure. It is an intense um, job. It is very physically demanding. It, it, it can be very, very stressful. Um, you can imagine the emotion involved with dealing with long-term residents and, and patients with dementia care. So absolutely, we cannot rule out or dismiss any concerns raised by staff. And if there are staff within um, Clannacilty Community Hospital who do have concerns, then that has to be taken seriously. And my understanding is, is that there is a date fixed with the uh, Work Relations Commission in order to uh, get an agreement on the appropriate level of staffing because you know, obviously when the Korean Award does reopen fully as well, that's going to put more demand on staff because you have the entire 
of the hospital campus now being used to facilitate this incredible community care that they provide. So we do have to consider that. And in terms of what's been done to address that, so my understanding is seven international nurses have been recruited uh, just within uh, the last couple of weeks. So it's hoped that that, that will relieve some of the burden on uh, the staff and nurses at Clinic Guilty Community Hospital. Um, and there are positions um, uh, being uh, posted or that there are posts open at the moment for recruitment so as you know it's been well covered that there's a, a recruitment freeze across the hsc but it, individual hospitals can apply for derogation and clinic Hill community hospital has applied for a derogation which essentially means because of exceptional circumstances that they can uh, fill those posts that's it's great trying to, to recruit great. people can, in can, to I, can i just, can I just ask one other question because i i've seen photographs of uh, silverwood and it looks mm. it absolutely looks um stunning and as you say um fantastic for for the people of clonakilty and, and indeed west cork is it true that that has been right that was completely constructed close to two years ago and it took two years to open it I couldn't put an exact date as to when it was completed, but I can tell you that um, over a year ago, now myself and, and the, the uh, Minister for Older People, responsibility for Older People, Mary Butler, we uh, did a tour of the hospital. I visit the hospital regularly, whether it's to see residents in there or, or friends or, or whatever it may be. But we, uh, Mary Butler, myself, took a tour. That was over a year and a half ago, and absolutely yes, the 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 the, the unit was substantially complete. It was ready to go, uh, and obviously with HICWA compliance, with registration with HICWA, with the paperwork, with the process. It took far too long, and there's That's no crazy. denying that whatsoever. It's it, it 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 was it was line idle for far too long, and you know this goes back to a whole, I suppose, systematic issues certainly within the HSC, which I'm not running from from one second. We need more ambulances. Uh, we need to bulk up our uh, A and E uh, provision. We need to bulk up our transi- transitional beds so that we can get people who no longer need care in CUH into our community hospitals so that they have transitional care right across the board. We need improvement, and we need to speed up bringing these new beds into, in, into um, uh, I suppose, circulation. As but quickly as because this, we know we have delayed discharges in all of our hospitals, particularly in CUH. Yeah, and, and there will be a transitional bed element as well uh, within Clark Hill Community Hospital, which I think is a fantastic model because it takes people um, out of CUH where that there's a real intense need for beds. There's, an, uh, there's a need for intensive uh, treatment and proper treatment. But, you know, some people who go for, for um, I suppose, uh, procedures in CUH, they are kept in uh, in CUH because they have nowhere to go and there's no there's no transitional care. The likes of Clinic Hill Community Hospitals and other hospitals are, will provide such an important role in, in alleviating that pressure so that you open up beds within CUH. So it's, it all makes in. But yet there was a delay in opening it. But the, the, I suppose the point is it's open now and it's it should be cause for celebration because, you know, I was up at a 100th birthday party there this I day saw, last week. I saw that, the photographs. Um, Mrs. Hallisey, she was a neighbour of mine. She's an absolutely Look, great incredible, woman. incredible woman. But if, if I would I would encourage anybody who gets the opportunity to visit Clonic Hilton Community Hospital, to get a sense of the community, to get a sense of the, the I've never seen anything like the, the relationship that exists between uh, the residents in Clonic Hilton Community Hospital, the staff and the nurses. It, there is a camaraderie there is a friendship and you know sometimes hospital settings can be quite sad places you know um and and especially when you're talking about dementia care dementia is such a horrible disease it's such a sad disease and to watch uh, you know to see people you recognize going through it um is incredibly tough but 
I'm t- I, I would challenge anyone to go up to Clannacilty Community Hospital and not coming out with a, a pep in your step. Yeah, because I've, it gives oh, you yeah. it gives you a boost. I mean, it it. it I've been it, in there you, over the years, um, uh, uh, visiting people, and I've always said it about it. There's just this wonderful sense of joy, and a lot of that goes down to the the staff and the care and the attention. And you know, it is a hospital that should be should be replicated all over the country. I mean, it, it's a fantastic facility. And th- those and were, people those are very proud of it. Those are Minister Butler's words exactly, that this should be the standard. She described it as one of the best community hospitals that she'd ever entered. And you know what? The Silverwood War Unit is incredible. It's state-of-the-art. It's plush. It's It has every need. But the existing wards, Dokus, for example, and Searsha, the, the, the way that they're designed, so um, as you walk through it, you'll see familiar shop front signs from uh, main streets in Clannacilty. And the design is is patient-centered. It's mm. resident-centered. So they actually decide what they want uh, in each of the individual rooms. They decide the colors. They decide the, the furniture. They decide the coaches. And it's all about making them feel comfortable and making them feel at home. And I was talking to uh, one of the residents, Pat Walsh. He won't, he won't mind his name being mentioned. But he said it was like the finest hotel uh, in Ireland where, where he was saying, which is an incredible uh, reflection of the, of the standard of care. So... We're, we're not running from the issues, Patricia. That there, if 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 um, if we need extra staff, we need to get extra staff. Yeah. If we need better work conditions for nurses and staff, we need nurses and staff. But my concern was, uh, I suppose, a negative narrative around one of our finest, finest um, community hospitals, the gem, uh, the the jewel in the crown of Clannacilty, really, in terms of. Um, care and, and I would even go as far as to say one of the jewels in the crown in, in, in the entire county Okay, uh, and right. we want to get that message there. And, and just and I suppose the important message is to the people out there who are concerned who, are, who have older parents or relatives who need care that they are still accepting admissions there is no reduction in the amount of admissions going into Clannock Guilty Hospital and that is a vital message that I want to get okay. through. Okay, alright Okay. well said and a lot of people on uh, thanking you for your support of the hospital. Okay, listen Christopher, we leave it there, thank you for that. Thank you. And thanks for joining us, that is uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, West Cork Doll Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. Last Friday I have to say our hearts went out to the residents of a housing estate in Mogili who were once again on flood alert. This was following rising water in their area. Glenfia Estate, which was badly flooded just last October with 30 of the 32 houses underwater back then. Christian from the Residents Association, he's the chair, rejoins me just to see how they got on over the weekend. Good morning to you, Christian. Good morning, Tricia. Thank you very much for having me well, back again. Well, I have to say, I was thinking of you and the other residents and all weekend and I kept looking at weather forecasts to see what the weather was going to be like, particularly in your area. Um, and I'm glad to say you didn't flood, thankfully. Thankfully, we didn't flood. There was a lot of work done by the landowner with a digger and he put mounds of earth up against the the back of the estate um, just to stop the water, you know, from coming in. He he spent nearly all day there doing that and thankfully it didn't get any worse, but I mean, that is only a temporary solution and it will wash away as well um, eventually. So with any heavy rain, so, you know, we, we're just on constant flood alert and we're Every time we hear it's going to rain again, where there's panic runs through the estate. So, and has that water subsided now at this stage? It, it is. It is going down going slowly. Down. Okay. Um, but I mean, it, it wouldn't take much now for it to start no, again. No, because the land is soaked. That's it that, is that, absolutely that is. soaked. So, and, and the road, the road from Mogili to Killa was flooding in in quite a few different parts um, on on that day as well. So, yeah, and on Saturday it was it was a lot of water, surface water on the roads. 
So as residents, um, Christian, you all just wait, holding your breath for a weather forecast and in, in fear that there will be heavy downpours. We're, we're all standing at our, our, our windows and going outside and talking to each other constantly. And there is there is a constant panic there. And I've heard, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure of the houses, but I've heard that some people's houses are their foundation is compromised. And if, if water does come into our houses again, that's it. You know, I, I, I think our house would have to be torn down if it happened again and a lot of others. Um, it wouldn't take it again. You know, so we're, we're just constantly worried about that happening. And if that happens, we'd have, we would have to abandon our homes. How long have you lived there, Christian? I've been here now for seven years. Seven years. And how, when was that housing estate built? I think it was 2007. I couldn't be 100% okay. sure, but I think it was 2007. Okay, just stay there because I, I want to bring in uh, East Cork Social Democrat Councillor Liam uh, Quaid, who I know has been working on behalf of the uh, residents. Uh, good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Liam, surely Cork County Council and the OPW can't ex- expect people to live like this in constant fear whenever there is heavy rainfall. Yes, and we have the almost tragically absurd situation now of people across East Cork having spent tens of thousands of euro on repairs to their to their properties, um, you know, returning to their homes, and they could, they're no less um, they're, they're no more protected than they were um, before October 18th, and yet they could be flooded again in a matter of uh, weeks or months. Um, for me, Christian's story and that of his fellow residents in Mogili, along with um, what has happened in Castle Martyr, Killa, Whitegate, Ladiesbridge, as well as Middleton, the, the, all of those experiences together um, show for me the following. I think we're dealing with a set of challenges with flood risk in East Cork that is absolutely enormous in scale and complexity. And these challenges are going to test us more and more as time goes on and as our climate crisis deepens. And for me, I think we need a much more coordinated and comprehensive response that will call for setting up a separate agency. At the moment, there's no one single agency in charge of flood management. It's primarily left to the council and the OPW. But they're interacting with the Department of Environment, Inland Fisheries Ireland, Quilche, uh, the Department of Agriculture. And I think we need an overall agency that has the power to lead and that w- would, in my view, see much better coordination, speed and efficiency between uh, these entities. Because at the moment, we're hitting, we're hitting kind of um, funding snags, we're hitting regulatory snags. Yeah, well, I, I, was, reading, I was reading only in today's uh, papers that Cork County Council are, have said that funding streams to deal with these severe weather events are wholly inadequate and they're actually hindering <coughs> preparation for storms. I mean, Storm Babette, the one we're talking about in October, cost Cork County Council £60 million euro alone and they say from a local authority perspective the council is continuing to lobby for emergency funding support from the government to address the the damage caused but I mean it's just crazy that Cork County Council every time has to rely on assistance from the government for repair and clean ups after any severe weather event. Yeah, and I think we need to look at this, you know, in the way that COVID was was responded to. There was a there was a separate committee um, set up that allows for basically an emergency response, and this is something that is going to have to be dealt with over many years. Um, Christian and and his uh, neighbours have also dealt with uh, major inconsistencies with regard to financial supports, and for that, I think we need a one stop shop system whereby if you're dealing with um, you know, compensation, if you're dealing with uh, insurance, if you're trying to get flood uh, gates for your property, that that's all dealt with 
in a one-stop shop format because if you have been hit with the, the traumatic impacts of a flood event and you're having to um, interact with multiple departments or agencies, that just adds to the, the stress that you're under. And, and let, let me bring Christian back in on that point because that was something that we dealt with last Friday. Um, looking at the storm, Storm Babette, you didn't get close to, Christopher, the money that you needed no, to cover. No, I, I think they took the human part out of humanitarian um, when they were dealing with all of us in this estate. Um, you know, when, when everything's been devastated, it, it's very hard to get people in and it's also hard to get Nobody wants to come when you don't have the money to pay. You know, you can't expect people to come. I know people that had builders walk off site when they heard how much they were getting from the humanitarian. We don't have the money to finish our homes. You know, we're we're left in an absolute disgraceful state, horrific state, all of us. Aleem, from a council's point of view, I mean, is, is but or is that a government issue? Can you can you push on that? That particularly the, the, those humanitarian funds for the people who can't get flood insurance. It's not that they don't want to pay for flood insurance; they just can't get it. People, as Christian outlined, who thought they had flood insurance only to discover that they didn't. That's right, and I think we, it's incumbent on all on all representatives to um, advocate for that. It's ultimately going to be um, a, a government decision, but I think we all need to pursue that. And just one point that I'd like to make, I think there's there's many people in East Cork at the moment who feel deeply let down by the council. They feel they've been left exposed to flooding. They feel they haven't been helped when the last event took place because there there was there was a major um, stretch on resources. So some parts of East Cork outside Middleton didn't have an emergency response in the same way. They, they also feel they're not provided with interim measures to offer more protection than they currently have. But um, and and I think when you're in that when you're in that position, your natural response would be to think that the council staff don't care or that they're sitting on their hands. And I really don't believe that's the case. Um, I think on, I, I know for a fact that on October 18th and in the days afterwards, all the statutory agencies, the council, the HSC, the emergency services, they were all working flat out. And I know that the senior engineers that are now tasked with taking on this monumental task, they're you know working very late into the night, I know from their communications, but I really, really must stress that this set of challenges is bigger than the council and it's bigger than the OPW. Well, they, well the, the council themselves are saying that they, 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 it's, it's, their funding streams are wholly inadequate. They're admitting it. That's even to prepare, to prepare for flood. And then after the flood events, we get all of the ministers all coming down, all saying the right things. And then they go away and they don't have to clean up after the mess. And they're all promising, oh, you know, there'll be humanitarian aid and we'll cover all of the costs and the reality is completely different. Yeah, I, I think there hasn't been a full reckoning with the scale of the problem. I, I think when when, there, when you get through the, the aftermath of an event like this, there's some, there's some part of the psyche that doesn't quite kind of um, believe that it's going to happen again. I think if you haven't been personally affected and I do think there's a degree of kind of stumbling along you know, in the aftermath of this and I think it's going to really um, come back to haunt the government if they don't kind of r- really take it in hand. Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to pit one area against uh, another area because we know how badly the town of Middleton was affected by storm um, Babette. But I mean, is there a feeling that so much of the emphasis went on sorting out the issues in Middleton that, you know, places like Mogili were almost put on the back burner? It almost feels like they were forgotten about. I think I've, I've definitely... Um, 
you know, heard that sentiment expressed, and I think it's very legitimate. Um, there was a, a very strong focus on Middleton, understandably to some degree, um, on October 18th and in the, in the week or so afterwards, because the, the scale of devastation there was, was so immense. But those families that have been flooded in Mogili, in Whitegate, in, in Killa, Castle Martyr, um, Ladiesbridge, they've been no less affected, and they're no less, uh, you know, consumed with worry about this happening again. Yeah, and, and you know, Mogili, Whitegate, Killa, Castle Martyr, they were all devastated as well. They were devastated as much as uh, the good people of Middleton uh, were. Um, all right, listen, Christopher, our hearts go out to you and, and we really do hope that they're, in the interim, in, what do you feel needs to be done in the short term, uh, Christopher, just to try to allay some of your fears when you do get heavy rainfall? Okay, well... There's a few things. Firstly, with the humanitarian fund, they need to release the money to us to let us allow us to finish our home. We we should have had more money than that. Um, I, I don't know will that ever happen, but the money that they're holding and waiting for us to totally finish, we can't finish our homes. We need that money now. Okay, that's the first uh, thing. What, and what about the, the actual thing. flood itself? Is there anything can be done? Well, we... we um, we're hoping that the agencies are going to come together and look at it. I can't give a solution. I don't know what the solution is uh, to fix that problem. There's m- multiple layers of land and water coming from that, and I-, I honestly don't know what would fix it. But I think if all the agencies spoke to each other, if Tranche 2 was initiated now, then I think we'd have some hope. Um, but as Liam said, and if, if they're not able to communicate and, and share information, and, and then how, how are we meant to get the problem here fixed? We need a fix now. Yeah. We need somebody to come up with something right now to fix our problem. All right. Listen, uh, we'll keep in contact with you, uh, Christopher. Thank you for that. And uh, Social Democrats Councillor Liam Quaid, uh, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you very much. And thank you. I can see a number of questions coming in for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, who will join us later on in the programme. So if you have a question for Annalise, keep those coming and I'll put them to uh, Annalise in the final hour. Worrying to read in the paper today that more than 1,500 dog attacks have been reported to Ungar the Siakona just in the last two years. Now, see me, there's been a rise in attacks and despite the rise in attacks in recent years, local authorities are still struggling to clamp down, particularly on dangerous dogs, with some of our local authorities failing to issue even one fine in the past four years. Data that has been provided by Angarda Siakona show there was an increase in attacks last year when you compare it to the previous year. For example, last year, 850 dog attacks were reported. Now, the breakdown of those, 430 were on people, 240 were on livestock and 180 were on other animals. That was for last year, 2023. In 2022, there were 739 uh, attacks. And we will all remember that horrific attack by a pit bull terrier. Do you remember on that little boy in County Wexford and the amount of facial injuries that poor child had? That happened over a year year ago. And in the wake of that particular attack, the government then established a working group 
And it, part of that working group was to examine fines, to look at enforcement and also to see how dog wardens are deployed. But it was announced last November that the on-the-spot fines for the more serious offences, this is under the control of Dog Acts, they would increase from €100 Euro to €300. Euro. Now, owners of dogs on the restricted breed list, they are required to have animals muzzled. We know in public at all times the, the dog must always be on a short lead. It can never be left off the lead. And it also, if you're bringing one of the dogs out on the restricted lead, muzzle on, short lead on, the person must be over the age of 16. So you can't allow a child to bring out one of these dogs because they literally would not be able to keep them under control because the strength of some of these dogs. Now, despite the increase in the value of the fines going from 100 to 300, local authorities have reported having issues with enforcement. And of course, what's the main issue? It's a lack of dog wardens. Many have issued little or no fines. Some councils have handed out around a dozen. Fines can only be issued if the alleged offence is observed by the dog warden. And of course, if we don't have enough dog wardens, then we don't have enough of them to be observing it. Or if a witness statement is provided by a member of the public. And of course, you'll often get a member of the public ringing in to report something. But when it's said you're going to have to put your name and address on it, people are a bit slow to do it because if it's the neighbour's dog and they don't want to upset the neighbours and that then becomes a problem. Now it's the Irish Independent today are reporting on this and what they did, they did a bit of research. They contacted every single local authority in the country and they put a simple question to them. They said since 2020 and last year, um, for how many fines did they issue for dogs uh, for dogs on the restricted breed list being off the lead in public? So they asked a very, very specific uh, question. Five of the councils, Cavan, Clare, Westmeath, Longford and Galway City, all issued no fines at all. And then there was eight others who handed out between one and five. Now, the dogs that are on the restricted breed uh, list, they include the American Pitbull Terrier, Rottweilers, your Alsatian, the German Shepherds, English Bull Terriers, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, a Bull Mastiff, the Dobermans, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, Japanese Akitas, Japanese Tosas, I, I don't know what kind of a dog that is, and then, of course, any dog that is a cross with any of those breeds, they're all deemed on the restricted uh, list. And actually, here in Cork, Cork County, we had one of the highest um, fines to be issued. And this is just for fines for a dog on the restricted list who was out in public and wasn't on the lead. There was 55 fines for Cork County. Cork City had nine fines. Not surprised to see Wexford after that attack. They issued 70 fines. So I'd say Cork was the second. Galway County had four, 40 and 44 were issued in Louth. But it's just crazy to see some of the councils that issued absolutely none. And you've got others like Leitrim and Monaghan. They only, and Tipperary and Limerick, only issued one fine between 2020 and last year. Now, recent research that was carried out by the Department of Agriculture, they found more than 3,000 people had been hospitalised over a 10-year period that was due to dog bites, with evidence showing that these dog attacks are on the rise. The study on data from 2012 to 2021, so almost a 10-year period, found that children suffered the most dog bites. 1,121 children had to be hospitalised. This isn't just a dog nipping them. The children were actually hospitalised. The most common injuries from dog attacks were open wounds, 
followed by facial injuries and followed by uh, fractures. And it's young people under the age of 14 with the most affected cohort. Uh, In total, 3,158 of the reported cases were children under the age of uh, 12. Now, a spokesperson for the Department of Rural Community and Development, because they are the department with responsibility for policy and legislation when it comes to dog control, They said the local authorities are the ones in charge of operational activities, including the enforcement matters. So while the Department of Rural Community and Development, they set the policy, they set the legislation, they're kind of washing their hands then and saying, oh, well, look, it's up to the local authority then. They're the ones that have to do their operational activities and they're the ones that have to do the enforcement. Uh, And I take it if you got onto any of the local authorities, they'd say we don't have enough money to employ all of the dog wardens that we need. Now, when they were asked what further plans the department had to tackle this issue of dog attacks, the department said its working group was expected to meet in the coming weeks. Now, is that the same working group that I mentioned that was set up following the attack on that little fellow? That um, that working group, that's over a year ago since that little boy was viciously assaulted by that pit bull terrier in County Wexford. Anyway, they say they're due to meet in the coming weeks and they're also talking about a media campaign. I don't know, do media campaigns work or not? But they have a media campaign that's going to be scheduled for this quarter and that media campaign is going to alert dog owners to their responsibilities and to raise awareness of the dangers that can be posed by uncontrolled uh, dogs. We have, of course, in this country seen a dramatic increase in dog uh, ownership and that's based on the number of people who get dog licences and you can be sure that the 205,000 dog licences that were issued in 2022, that number went up of course because that was during the pandemic and a lot of people decided to take on dogs because they were at home uh, more and unfortunately we're seeing some of those dogs being surrendered but that's a different uh, discussion and a discussion we have spoken about uh, before but if you have 205,000 dog licences were issued, you can be guaranteed there's many more people who don't buy a dog licence so that number is even uh, higher and then you have things when you look at it from an agricultural point of view we've had horrific sheep attacks we've spoken to very very distressed farmers you know who talk about uh, hideous injuries done to their sheep and then there's the whole sheep worrying when they chase sheep particularly sheep that are pregnant there's the continued threat to livestock um, and that's and, and all of the related matters and that continues to be a significant concern amongst the farming and rural communities so much so that the Irish Farmers Association they started their own No Dogs Allowed uh, campaign and that campaign is just requesting dogs not to be brought onto or near farmland and urging all dog owners to please, please behave in a responsible way. Now just last week in County Wexford 14 sheep uh, were killed after being attacked by uh, two uh, dogs. And of course, dog owners have been warned to ensure that they know where their pets are at all times, particularly during the lambing season, which obviously we're, we're, we're I'm right in saying we're into now, we're coming into now with the spring lambs. So please, you know, you know, while you're beautiful, Fido, you might think is a gorgeous calm, 
dog and how often do you hear a dog owner say, oh, he wouldn't harm a fly. He's a gentle dog and and whatever. And when those dogs get together, particularly if they get into that pack mentality, they can go out and what they can do on farmlands uh, is just, it's shocking. 0818103103 is the answer to have more dog wardens. If we had dog more, more dog wardens deployed, would there be more enforcement and would there be more fines uh, issued? Because certainly that's uh, quite disappointing to see the low number of fines that were issued during that period from 2020 to 2023 just for dogs on the restricted breed list being off the lead in public. There's a lot of other offences that could be occurred as well. They're, they're not in any way related to dog attacks, but frightening to see that dog attacks are on the increase. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. JMC Parts there in West Cork. They're looking for a sales rep for agricultural spare parts and equipment. Email your CV, please, and your cover letter to bgalvin at jmcparts.com. And a spare parts advisor is wanted for a busy farm machinery store. That's in Watergrass Hill. CVs to Trevor at ryalls.ie. Riverstick Motors, they've got a vacancy for a qualified CVRT tester. Tony is your contact, 087-167-4000. And Hamilton French Recruitment of vacancies for a three-tonne machine driver, that's in the Blarney area, a carpenter to erect hoarding in Cork City, and they're looking for a construction worker for roadworks in the Caldari area. For any of those vacancies, Tim is your contact, Tim at HamiltonFrench.com. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A school in Cargilline has urged the Department of Education to review and reconsider what has been described as an unworkable proposed accommodation plan due to happen next September, which would effectively see the school split across two campuses. To discuss what's going on, I'm joined by Trina Golden, who is the principal of Onabui Educate Together National School. Good morning to you, Trina. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. I suppose we need to roll back this a little bit. Onabui uh, Educate Together, you're to get a new build, 16 classroom primary school, which is fantastic news. When do you expect the new school to be ready? At minimum, we're looking for to five years, Patricia, and that's with no holdups, which is rare enough when it comes to school buildings. All right. So there's a there's a bit of a wait. You could have some of the children actually gone and left the school by the time the new school opens. So in the midterm, in the midterm, you are running out of space. Uh, and I take it, is that because of continued growth at the school? It is. So we opened in 2020 and with the new school, when you open, you just have junior infants and every year you add a class behind it. So at the moment, we're up to second class. So we've got four mainstream classes, junior infants, senior infants, first and second. And then we've also got two autism classes. So right now we've got six classes um, and come September, we'll be adding the seventh. Um, so we're running out of space. We don't have room for that seventh class. 
So you contact the Department of Education, who are obviously very aware of your plight because they've sanctioned a new school. Outline what the department have come back with as their proposals for next September. So the department are proposing that the two of the classes in September would go to the other side of Carrigaline into prefabs on the site of Carrigaline Educate Together National School, which is a separate school to us. So there are actually two Educate Together schools in Carrigaline, which can cause confusion at the best of times. <laughs> um, we're on a bui, we're on the Cork side of Carrigaline, and we're opened for the purposes, I suppose, of, of the new Janeville housing estate would have been the real push for a new school. Um, so our permanent build will be in Janeville. Um, and the other school is the other side of Carrigaline over by Kilnagleary on the way to Crosshaven. Um, so literal as far away as you can be from each other while still being in Carrigaline. Um, and, I'm, yeah. and straight away what springs to mind as a problem is a, a family that has a child in junior infants and a family, the same family has a child that's in first or second class. Uh, how how are the department proposing the drop-offs and the collections if you've got one on one campus and one on another campus? I suppose the issue is the department don't. They don't propose solutions to things like that. They don't really think about them. Um, as far as they're concerned, they provide the accommodation and the rest is up to the school and the parents. Um, I think the the biggest issue here is, look, split campuses for new schools are not unheard of. They're not ideal, but they happen. And, you know, there are times that there isn't an alternative. Um, our issue is the, the proposal, the distance, and I suppose their lack of understanding of the traffic situation in Carrigaline makes this one impossible. Like, there is no way that you could drop a child with us at 8.40 and be across to the other side of Carrigaline any time before nine o'clock. It's not just hope. not going to happen. Not absolutely not a hope. Okay, where you currently are is um, Heron's Wood. Is there any room for two prefab classrooms there? There isn't, unfortunately. Ah. So the department did come down before Christmas and did an assessment of because that's the ideal for them. You know, they they don't want to be moving us either. Um, but there is no space here. It's it's a rented accommodation. Um, so in this current location, there isn't. Are there options elsewhere this side of Carrigaline? At this point, we don't know. And that's that's something we'd be asking them to explore. Um, but what we had proposed back in October was that they move the whole school onto the site hmm. that they've purchased for the new school and just leave us there till the school is built. And, and really, that's the ideal situation. But they're saying it's it's too costly. So that's the barrier. Yeah, the obvious one is uh, I was I was going to suggest is there a greenfield site where they could put the seven prefabs, uh, and you already have identified the the, the the site. But but surely they re- they rent prefabs, isn't that what they do? They don't buy them, or they do. They, do. they rent them. They, generally, they lease them. They, they can lease. do both, but they yeah. generally lease them. And you're renting in Heronswood. We are. So I, I think the cost barrier really is around the setting up of services and so on, uh, oh. because it's a greenfield site. Um, now, that's going to have to happen at some point anyway. And that's kind of my argument. Maybe there's not room in this year's budget and that's the problem. But but this is this is going to happen. There's going to be a school on that site. So get the services you know, if we're talking now. about yeah. moving it around. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. And have they, have the department identified which classes they're asking you to put at the other side of the town or are they leaving that up to you? No, they would. They wouldn't touch that. <laughs> they wouldn't go near it. Any practical decisions, you know, the department just say you have this space. In terms of practical decisions and dealing with the fallout of those practical decisions, that's going to be on me. And then I'm thinking, because you say four or five years, and that's you know, being conservative with everything going according to plan. It, it it'll mean then every year thereafter another prefab is going to have to be put onto the. Other site, isn't it? Isn't that the way it's going to work? The the issue being, they don't have the space either. So the the two current prefabs that they're talking about are already there. So Carrigline Educate Together were using them up until October, and um, when their extension was opened, so they've moved out of them. The prefabs are there, which makes it an easy option. But there's only two, and there isn't space for more. So come 18 months time, we're going to be having these same discussions about what happens next. And that's that's my biggest issue. It's it's a very short term solution, which is unworkable, but also doesn't even resolve the issue until we get to the build. And I'm thinking of the children that would be in the two classes on the other campus and their teachers. Would they feel very isolated, Trina, from the, the school Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Congregation. Absolutely. Of course they will. And it's two bare classrooms. There isn't space for a support teaching room. There isn't space for regulation. As I said, we've got two autism classes who integrate into mainstream. How's that going to work? The teachers wouldn't have somewhere to eat their lunch. You know, there there really isn't any sense of community in being separated from, from the main school and then it's not even somewhere that you could stroll over afterwards you know it really is a trek in a car yeah and um, being the only option to, br- to bring the community together and um, so really it's it's nearly a separate school and then obviously from my side of it where am I you know am I here am I over there where am I working if I'm over there are you part of the day in both you know there's there's an awful lot of practical considerations that the reality is the department don't care about, but I have to care about. So 
That's and where being, we are yeah, with it. And being a part of a school community is so, I mean, I know we send children to school to educate them, but being a part of a school community is so important, isn't it, Trina? Hugely. The amount of time and money and communications from the department in recent years around well-being is like incredible. And that's to school, to parents, to the children. We talk about well-being all the time. We talk about sense of community. We talk about sense of safety. And it's just not possible for those things to happen in a separate location with, you know, if, if we're talking about well-being and I've got two junior infants, one of them's going to Carrigaline Educate Together and one of them's coming to Ownabui, except I ask the two of them to walk in the same gate and I tell one of them, well, you're going to this big, lovely building with a hall and a sensory room and beautiful classrooms and your whole school community. And I tell the other five year old, you're turning left down here and you see those two prefabs that are kind of falling apart. You're going to spend your entire day in one of those. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've painted it exactly what it is going to be like. And children, young children like that do not understand why have they got the big shiny school and I'm, I'm going into a, a, a prefab. How many pupils do you currently have, Trina? And how many will you have in September? We have about 65 at the moment. Well, um, we'd be aiming for about 90 in September, but with this current plan, that may that may drop significantly. So it is going to have impacts on staffing and that sort of thing as well. Now, we did contact the Department of Education in advance of you, of you coming on, you know, and, and as expected, they talk about the wonderful new school that you're going to be getting. And they, they say, pending the completion of this new school building, interim arrangements for the accommodation of the school have been put in place. In order to facilitate the continued growth of the school, additional accommodation is required for 2024-2025. The department is currently engaging with the school patron, Educate Together, to put a solution in place in this regard. Are you, what kind of engagement are you having, Trina? So what I would say is up up until we went public, look, this has been ongoing for a few weeks. And, you know, we we had been informed of the plan maybe two weeks before before we took it public. And we'd gone back via the patron. We'd gone back to educate together and explain to them this isn't workable. This is not possible. You know, it's just not something that anyone who's been in Carrigaline, like literally when I say it to people in Carrigaline, I get laughed at. Like, it's ludicrous. So Educate Together w- went back with that. It went right the way to the top of Educate Together and right the way to the top of the buildings department. And the answer that came back was, this is happening. There is no leeway here for discussion. So at that point, the department had made a decision and there was no further engagement um, allowed. So this this latest statement of we're currently engaging is happening as a result of the media attention and the political support. You know that's where yeah. that engagement is coming from. Yeah, and it's crazy that you even have to yeah, that you even had to have to do that. How are the parents reacting? Our parents are fabulous, and they have been absolutely wonderfully supportive but they're incredibly stressed and anxious. You know the reality for many of them is. They'll have a decision to make if this goes ahead. Do they look to move to other schools? Which, you know, is devastating for us as a school community and um, because we are very, very close. You know, parents and all of the kids play together. They all play together outside of school. Um, but if you can't ask that someone is dropping here and dropping there, they physically can't do it. And our parents, you know, a huge amount of them are working parents. Mm. They're dropping to school and then trying to get to work. So they will have to look at alternative options. 
So they're very stressed, but they've also been wonderful in terms of advocating for us in contacting representatives and speaking out on the radio and online. Um, and yeah, we're very proud of them and, and how they've responded to this, I suppose. Okay. Um, but it's it's just a very unreasonable ask of them at the moment and they feel like no one cares. Well, the school and the pupils and the teachers and the parents can all be very proud of you. You're a great advocate uh, for the school as well, Trina. We'll keep in contact with you and hope that sense prevails because that's really when when I read about this story, I just thought, oh, my God, a bit of common sense here. You know, what are they asking uh, for families and a school community to do? So let's hope common sense prevails. We'll keep in contact with you, Trina. But thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for being Patricia. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Trina uh, Golden, who is the principal of Onabui Educate Together, a national school. And again, one of those decisions I'm assuming was made at an office somewhere in Dublin, deciding we'll put them across the campus, across Carrigaline. And, you know, as Trina said, anybody who lives or works in Carrigaline will know what the traffic is like, particularly a drop off and pick up during the day it's always any town is the same when it comes to school drop off and pick up and to expect parents to be in two places at the one time a time is just impossible Bill in Clonakilty just listening to uh, Trina the principal of Onabui Educate Together National School and the problems they're having uh, he says all they have to do in Carrigaline is to stack the prefabs one on top of the other and put a proper stairs outside you could stack them three or four high and surely that would solve the initial problem simple that would be a simple solution sometimes uh, the simple solutions can be the easiest ones. You could also put solar panels on top of those port cabins and or something like a wildlife bee garden and you could almost make them self-sufficient. Uh, I think the problem that Trina though outlined to us is is where the current school is uh, at Heron's Wood. There's no room for any prefabs so they wouldn't even be able to stack three or four prefabs on top of each other and I don't know, you're talking about these are from junior infants to second class. I don't know if you would have them stacked high with the stairs because you're talking about very young uh, children. But I mean, Trina herself, I think, had the simplest solution. They have the Greenfield site where the new school is eventually going to be built. And while they're waiting for it to be built, why not relocate the whole school out there instead? But it seems, listening to Trina, it seems to be a cost issue for the Department of Education. Anyway, uh, we'll keep in contact with them and update you accordingly. 0818 103 103. And thank you to Bill for your call. Now, on Garda Siakona, has launched a fraud awareness campaign. This is in partnership with local uh, credit unions in Kerry. It's to highlight the dangers of acting as a money mule. They're specifically targeting the Kerry area following the operation that we spoke about that led to 32 prosecutions of young people whose bank accounts were illegally used to launder money. Neve Davenport of the Banking and Payments Federation Fraud Smart uh, joins me this morning on this topic. Good morning to you, Neve. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, you're very welcome. Now, the young people that we're talking about here in Kerry were between 16 and 20. Would that, in your opinion, be a typical age group that's targeted by money mules or to become money mules? Yes, students are generally the, the target of money mules um, because it seems like a cheap and easy way to recruit people to launder the funds that we're seeing. And um, we generally say 18 to 24, but we have seen as young as 16. We've even seen as young as 14 as well. Um, you know, people looking for cash, it's hard to get part time jobs, especially if you're starting college as well. It's another particular cohort of students that will, will be targeted. And uh, it's, it seems like cheap, easy money. So they're very drawn to us. Do you feel the young people don't realise the seriousness of what they're getting involved in? 
hundred percent. I don't think that they realize. So it's it's the scam. I think it's really important to understand where the money is coming from. First of all, it's coming from things like your text message scams or your investment scams. So scams that your family and your friends, that your grandmother, your aunts, your parents may have fallen victim to, um, your uncles. They, it's it's these type of scams or local businesses as well that maybe have shut down because of they, they've fallen victim to scams. It's that money that fraudsters need to launder through the banking system. And they use these money mules and um, these students accounts to, 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 do, to do that. And I think as well, the other thing is then is where is the money going? And that is the, that is the key thing. I think if students realise where the money was going, they'd be absolutely horrified. So it's used to fund organised crime. It's funding human trafficking, uh, prostitution, drug trafficking. It's all of these horrific crimes that it's funding. So it's not a harmless, victimless crime as it's sold to them. Uh, it, it is a very serious crime that they're getting involved in. And does the young person as a money mule, do they make a lot of money out of this? Because just huge sums of money can go through their accounts. There's huge sums of money. There's different amounts that we've seen different ways of doing it. It's a commission payment of 5% or 10%. But a lot of the time, it's maybe a €100 Euro or €200 Euro fee that they're getting um, out of it. So it seems like, I suppose, when you're 16 to get €200, Euro sounds every time something goes through your bank account, it sounds like a lot. Um, and it is at that age. So it, it seems very profitable, very easy. What's the harm in some money going through my bank account? I'm not keeping it. It's, you know, it, it's it, what what's the harm? And that's the, th- the message we're trying to get across is it is actually... Um, you are doing something, you're getting something involved in something that's really dangerous. And the thing is, as well, what we've seen is that, you know, they say, oh, well, I'll just do it once, especially maybe if you're starting college. I just need my accommodation deposit or I just need my transport for the month, different things like that. I'll do it once. I'll get the fee and then I do it. I'll, I'll be done. But the thing is, the fraudster has your bank account. Mm. So once you're in it, they can keep transferring money and you're going to keep having to get, you're going to want the money out of your account. So really, it's very difficult to get out of it once you're, once you're involved. Once you get well. sucked, sucked in. And the implications of, um, of becoming a money mule, the, the, the prosecutions and the implication on the young person and their future. As I mentioned, 32 were prosecuted uh, in, in yeah. Tralee alone. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, obviously it's it's not nice to see young people prosecuted for something that they didn't realise what they were necessarily getting involved in. But they do know it's an illegal uh, crime. They do know that they shouldn't be doing it. Um, but the prosecutions are up to seven years in prison. Um, you have a criminal record, which is even, you know, it's going to impact the rest of your life. So you won't be able to get maybe loans going forward if you're trying to buy a house, car loan. You won't be able to travel abroad with certain things like visas. If you want to go in your J1, for example, to the States, or if you ever want to move to Australia or the Middle East, you won't be able to get a visa because you have a criminal record. And that's, yeah, that's that stays with you. Because I saw, I know two of the young people have, uh, not anonymously, but they've, they're sharing their stories. And that was one of the young girls, um, a young student. Her plans mm. were to go to Australia and, and now that's gone because she's a prosecution. That's it. it. It really does impact your life. And, you know, it's terrible to see people being prosecuted, but it does bring awareness to it to say, look, this is a huge problem. It is a huge problem. It's in every county. Um, it's not just Kerry. It's it's all over the country, and people are being targeted. And they, it, it, either we, what we've seen in Kerry, which is which is kind of not new, but it's probably more widespread. What we saw was the in-person recruitment, as we call it. Um, so we do see a lot of ads on social media advertising for money mules, saying "Make quick, easy cash. Let me give me your bank account details." Um, but 
what was different here was that, you know, I suppose once one person hears about it and they tell their friends, oh, you can do this. And so as a result, that's why we saw so many people in Kerry kind of getting involved in it because it was word of mouth and it's quick and easy money. Yeah, the, the recruiter in Kerry was was a, a local a teenager who convinced his peers. And I think that's how people got, yeah. so, as you say, so, so many got sucked into it. And I'm reading mm-hmm. in today's papers that Norma Foley, the Minister for Education, who obviously she's a Kerry based TD as well. She's mm-hmm. doubling down on her concerns about teenage and money mules. I mean, she's her children as young as 12 are getting uh, lured in. She's so worried about it that she has written to the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, to express her concerns about the rising use of school children as money mules. But I suppose some of this goes back to parental responsibility because if we're talking about school children, they're under the age of 18. Parents need to keep an eye on what's going through a child's bank account. They really do. And, you know, depending on who you bank with, there's different ways of doing that. You know, you do have to sign on to the account to make sure that you're checking their their balances and their checks regularly. I mean, if your child comes home and is wearing a new pair of runners that are cost 150 euro, there's questions to be asked. You know, where are they getting the money from? How are they funding their lifestyle? Or are they keeping it a secret? It's really important to have the conversation uh, with your children, especially the younger that they are, because it's, it is so easy to get sucked into it. Um, you don't think you're doing anything wrong. And I don't think the same. And it's a big piece of education that's happening. And that's why we run the Fraud Smart program. And, you know, what I will say to people is sign up to alerts on the Fraud Smart program, which is on fraudsmart.ie, because we will anything that's doing the rounds, any trends that are happening, any current scams um, that are doing the rounds, we will send out an email alert. And it's important to have those conversations so that everybody is aware of what's happening, because a bank account is your personal information. You know, you wouldn't give away the keys to your car or the keys to your house. Don't give away your bank account details. And I don't think people necessarily, um, especially younger people, realise how sensitive and how personal that information is compared to maybe some of the older generations. And coincidentally, I saw you, I think it was last week being quoted in a newspaper item and it was about the um, older people and pensioners have been warned to stay vigilant. People over the age of 55 are particularly being targeted. Uh, Is that by the exact scams you're talking about that the young people then their accounts are used for? Exactly. So it is um, the investment scams is the one that we were trying to alert everyone to last week. And we've seen a huge increase in these type of scams, and mainly because these are very profitable for fraudsters. So they're getting people to transfer quite large sums of money. Um, and what it is, it's people who may be coming up to uh, retirement age, got a pension lump sum. We've seen people maybe who received some inheritance um, or other people maybe have downsized their house, their houses over recent years and they want to make sure that they have enough to live on for the rest of their lives and have a good, a harder earned retirement um, and enjoy it. So they're looking for ways to make extra um, return on their on their cash. They're researching and going on and researching and saying, where is the best investment rates? You may get a website up, like a comparison website. And then over the course of two to three months, you'll be liaising with somebody from that investment company. And some, eventually then you make a transfer to that and it turns out to be a fraudulent account. Um, so be really aware if you're not used to investing, take your time. Go to speak to somebody in person. Don't trust somebody that you never have, have never met, especially if it's your first time investing. Um, you know, really take the time to do that research because the, the sums of money are very, very large in these and they're just, they're actually, they're very, they're devastating cases. And as you said, that is the money then that has to be laundered through the bank accounts and that's where they're going to the students. Did, did I hear, did I see and read that you said that the, some of the cases are between 50,000 and up to 600,000? 
Um, I'm not sure we end up to 600, but there's definitely six figures anyway. Um, yeah. Someone's involved because if if you think if somebody has downsized their house, they may have had a large sum from that or like a very large um, inheritance. Yeah, they, they have could have a hundred thousand. Well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it is large sums. And the thing is, because you have done the research yourself, you have gone off to look for an investment opportunity. And we're talking things like green bonds or, you know, which is obviously a big buzzword at the moment with climate change, different types of investment scams. And these people will have the right terms. They're coming back to you. So they're taking you away from the website that you've gone in. You've put your details in for them to call you back. So again, you're the one who's instigated it. So your your antennas aren't quite up the same way they would be if you got a call. Yeah, or it's not a, a cold call. Yeah, exactly. And then what they do is they'll follow up with the brochure, for example. But it's very professionally produced. It's very real looking. There's nothing to suggest that it's like um, a fake web brochure or anything like that. Um, and they will liaise with you for a number of months, like two, three months. They will have this conversation with you. They won't put you under pressure. So like the other scams as well, there's no sense of urgency. You know, I need to do this or my phone bill is going to be cut off. It's none of that. It's it's they're taking the time because it's so profitable. That, like I said, the sums are large and it's worth it for them to put that two or three months into it. These guys are professionals. Yeah. This is not your local chancer. <laughs> this yeah. is somebody, it's an organized crime ring and they want that money. And the same goes, um, not to ruin people's Valentine's Day, uh, but the same goes this week now with romance scams, for example. Two, three, four months will go into it and they'll eventually convince somebody to, to, to transfer money. So really be on the guard. And especially, like I said, when you're the one who's instigated it, you don't have the same alert up. Yeah, and and this is where it all, it's the full circle. The money then ends up in the Money Mules account exactly. and then it's and gone. It's, it's really important to bring that Money Mule piece into it because I think we often talk about fraud and scams, but we don't really fully understand where the money is gone and it's 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 it really is important to kind of yeah. see the, the yeah. full journey of that cycle. We need, yeah. to st- we need to stop that, nip it in the bud. Listen, Neve, pleasure as always. Thank you for that and thanks Not for joining all, thank us. You. Good morning to you, Neve Davenport, Banking and Payments Federation Fraud Smart Group. We were talking about the problem that the Educate Together School in Onabui uh, has in Carrigaline. Judy in Crosshaven was listening and she says, I agree with the points that were made about school while we send our children to school for education the school setting is so much more that community and the school community and the bonding and the friendship and everything else that goes on outside of children learning the basics of uh, uh, reading maths and um, uh, language uh, skills. Uh, Judy said many pu- many pupils are going through so much in today's world and uh, sometimes school can be their only escape so it's so important particularly for the principal to be on school to be on call at the school at all times it's unfair to think that the pupil that the principal of the school can be in two places at the one uh, time. Judy in Crosshaven feels the decisions like this are made in, in the Department of Education by people who've never um, uh, never paid a visit or worked in a school environment. Well, in fairness, uh, Trina, the principal, said the Department of Education did send people down because obviously they looked at their existing building, which is only a rented building while they're waiting for their new school built, and they know that there's no extra space where they're renting at the moment. Then they went away and came up with this plan of having it the campus, the extra two prefabs would be across Carrigaline. And, and I was making the point as each year as an additional class gets added on, it'll be an extra prefab and an extra prefab until eventually you'll probably have more children in the prefab than you will have in the existing school, the existing property that they are renting. There is a simple solution, put all of the prefabs together on the site where they're waiting for the school to be built. But, you know, we'll wait and see. Will the department move on that? 0818 103 103. I can see a lot of questions coming 
coming in for Annalise Drissel, our nutrition and therapist. Keep those coming in. She'll be joining us later on on this hour. But I am really interested in your thoughts on what Finnair, they're the, the Finnish airline. I suppose they're a little bit like Aer Lingus, are they? They're the, the national airline in Finland. They have begun what is seen all over the world as a controversial plan of weighing passengers before they get on to the flight. Now, it's a move that's been harshly criticised as being fat shaming. Uh, Finnair, now it's a voluntary programme of weighing passengers and they weigh them at the departure gates at Helsinki Airport. And they're saying they're doing it because it will allow airlines to better calculate weight estimates for planes before they take take off. And the first passengers were seen stepping up on the scales at Helsinki Airport. Now it's, I've seen photographs, it's next to a very large sign that does read voluntary customer way survey. Finnair say that the scheme is necessary to try to understand the weight being carried by any one of their planes on a given trip. And they say that that can massively fluctuate depending on where in the world you are. And also, Finnair says it depends on the time of the year that the flight is taking off. A spokesperson previously said the scheme would give them accurate data for aircraft performance and balance calculations and they say that was needed for the safe operation of flights. Instead of at the moment what they do is they rely on European standard uh, weights. So a communications director also said that Finnish people, for for example, tend to wear much heavier items of clothes in colder months. And if you think about Finland, they get very, very severe winters. And obviously they'd have much bulkier coats and probably heavier boots on them, you know, during when they have heavy snow, for example. So that's all going to weigh uh, much more. So they're looking at the data to see if they can give very accurate calculations for each uh, flight. Now, they're being called out and saying that this is uh, fat shaming going on and that it can be triggering for some people. So there's a lot of uh, criticism about it. But I saw a former aviation engineer who remained nameless uh, said that airlines estimates of weight and weight distribution on aircrafts are very important to make sure that every flight takes off and lands uh, safely. And the weights that they're using are weights from decades ago. And the bottom line, says this engineer, is that people are so much larger and heavier than they were decades uh, ago. And because of that, you can have overloaded planes who are basically flying flying blind without any up-to-date information on what excess weight they're actually uh, carrying. And, you know, they were talking about the, the, the estimate that the average male at the moment weighs 88 kgs and the average female weighs 70 kgs. But based on the standards on the European testing, that's higher. It's 96 um, for men and 76 for women. So that means that most planes will carry extra fuel. And then that's wasted fuel is being uh, carried uh, and fuel that they don't need uh, to do. Now, it's unclear at this stage if other airlines will have similar plans to bring in this weighing of passengers. But I suppose they, it is triggering for people. You know, if, if you're a bit on the large size side and you're going up to the gate and suddenly you see this big weighing scales, uh, particularly if it comes in that everybody gets uh, weighed, you could see that being very triggering and humiliating for some people. But the other argument is, and the argument has been put forward before by other airlines and by other people, that should people who are heavier in weight, people who say are obese or morbidly obese, should they pay more 
than somebody who isn't overweight. Uh, you know, the argument being that you're going to need more fuel in order to fly a larger person somewhere than you would a lighter person. And, and I think a lot of people, there are some people agree with that. I certainly think it would be a dreadful, dreadful suggestion if it came in. But you would have people saying if it gave them cheaper flights just because they were lighter, you would have some people who definitely uh, would go uh, for that. And seemingly, according to Finnair, so far more than 800 people have voluntarily weighed themselves, adding that they were positively surprised by the number of volunteers. Uh, but as they say, it is it, it, they're the first airline to take on the initiative and to weigh uh, the passengers themselves. But it is voluntary at the moment. How would people feel about that? Would you like to be weighed getting on to a plane? Uh, do you think it's a good move? Do you think it is something that other airlines? I mean, I'm dreading to think if Michael O'Leary sees it and thinks that there's any way he can make an extra few bob out of passengers on board a plane I'd say he would be the first one in there for every kg over the amount you are you'd be paying a little bit extra because he's a great man when it comes to uh, getting extra money out of people 0818 uh, 103 103 I talked about getting money out of people I want to bring John Paul in we might do it after um, uh, Community Diary because John Paul has a story to tell he got clamped at the weekend, so he'll tell us all about that. Uh, we'll do that in a couple of minutes. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. Donneret Active Retirement, they're having their next meeting this afternoon at two. It's in the Presentation Pastoral Centre, uh, where there will be a rug-making demonstration. All are welcome. Newmarket Girls School, they're enrolling rolling new pupils for next September 2024 to 2025. To express your interest, to request a form, you can email office at newmarketns.ie or you can call the school anytime between 9.15 and 12.15 uh, daily. Please note that the closing date for enrolment of pupils for next for the well, next September is the 29th of February. Bingo continues in Butterinch GAA Hall. Theirs is on Monday night, so it's on tonight with a jackpot of 5,350. And Bandon District Seroptimist will hold a pancake morning in aid of Marymount Hospice tomorrow morning, Shrove Tuesday, between 10am and 12 noon. It's in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon. The cost is €10 and there will also be a raffle tomorrow morning. Court Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie today on C103. And on the idea of weighing passengers. Hi Patricia, I think it's a great idea to pay for your airline seat based on your weight. It's unpleasant and uncomfortable to sit next to somebody who's spilling over onto your space on a plane. Ooh, ouch, ouch, ouch. So there's somebody in favour of being weighed. Well, John Paul, if you were weighed, would you be fine? You'd get, you'd, you'd be nice and light. I'd be you'd okay, be fine. hopefully. Okay, now, you, you joined you know, us in the studio when, when I was talking about uh, people getting caught for something and having to pay extra. You were clapped. 
Yes, no. we, our colleague uh, here at the newsroom, Mairead Tuig, her grandmother uh, passed away. And condolences to And condolences family, to the Tuig family and the passing of Annie. And there's a, a large crowd at the funeral. There are large families. There was a large crowd there. So very evident. It was on in Ballincollig. As I was driving into Ballincollig from the city side, I was met by a queue of traffic. I presumed it was Friday evening traffic in Ballincollig. But no, a lot of this was due to the crowds attending the funeral. And I drove in where the funeral home is and realised traffic jams so then I followed the traffic which went around the car parks where uh, across from the cinema more or less in, in, in Ballincollig uh, through Times Square and then out another road which brings you on the station road so the car parks were full um, and then when I was driving down that road saw this car park now it was a dark street and a dark car park and I pulled in there and looked around it was just a, a little small car park so I was like okay, how many cars do you reckon would be parked oh I'd there? say Maybe you get 15 to 20 oh, in that section car of the car park, small car park, yeah. Uh, and now it's important to point out, you looked to see, was there any signs? Yeah, I hadn't, I didn't even know this car park existed. So I parked there, looked around, saw nothing, evidence of, of any private parking or was this a residential area or was it for the businesses? And it was gone seven o'clock in the evening. So I presumed it oh, must okay. be okay. And I'd be conscious enough with that. I mean, I have never, you know, our, our city studio is on Wellington Road and I worked there for many years and never thanked got a parking ticket so I'd be kind of quite conscious of not lobbing it anywhere just in case uh, so I looked around saw nothing now it was again it was dark left and went to the um, funeral home uh, we were queuing for two hours to, uh, before you get into the funeral home to sympathise as I mentioned a large funeral very evident that was going on in Ballincollig came back to the car at around nine o'clock and uh, realised I saw cars ahead of me clamped and then realised my own was clamped and this How many man were clamped? seven no, there seemingly could have been more beforehand okay. and more than likely more after because there was more cars parked there unclamped, but I'd imagine they were going to be soon. Uh, so this man, I don't know who he was now, but he was after being clamped and he said, um, you're going to have to ring this number and there's all the details on your windscreen. So got the thing off the windscreen, uh, rang the number you have to pay before they come out to unclamp the car, uh, 90 euros payment. So did all of that and when I had just done that, a number of locals who weren't at the funeral, I think there's a chipper nearby, and they were just walking back and they saw all these cars and they came over and they said, what's happening here? And I just explained, we were all at a funeral. I don't know the rest of the people that were at the funeral, but they all were and we've been clamped. And the locals there were quite disgusted because even they said it was very evident in Ballincolly there was a large funeral on uh, that evening and they could not understand how somebody would obviously take advantage of this. Uh, one of them disguised, des- described it as uh, shooting fish in a barrel because there was nowhere else to park. Every car park was full. A lot of people did not want to park in the likes of Aldi or there's a Tesco there or the shopping centre because they would have been closed at that stage but also they have signs up and those signs say a maximum of an hour or two hours. So at that stage people were realising you're going to be you knew by the queue I mean the yeah, queue was going, going far back yeah. you were going to be there longer uh, than the, the than so the, an hour were being careful where they were parking. yeah exactly yeah. Um, anyhow long story short the main reason for, for this particular uh, car park and why people maybe did park there and walk away there was it's completely in darkness there was no public lighting and when the locals came over they said but is this like is there signs are there signs and one guy got his torture with his phone, and so did I. We walked over to the wall with our lights on, and there were the signs. But as they were saying, it shouldn't take people to go looking for the signs to say you can't be clamped in this car park. Surely they should be lit up. And what, in most of those car parks... Was there a machine to pay? 
Seemingly there is as well, yeah, outside the car park. But you didn't, you didn't see Again, that. darkness and nothing lit up. Oh, okay. The whole thing is in darkness. And when you're in the car park, like most of these car parks, I see one in Killarney, where as you drive in, there's a sign with a light shining on it or shining down over it. But as you come down from the station road sign, the sign is there, but it's in complete darkness, so you can't see it. Yeah. If you're coming okay, in from the, the main street, yeah. you will see it lit up. But from the other side, it's not. Yeah. So I think that's where it came from. People weren't familiar with the area. No one knew the car park. Parked there because it looked like a normal car park. And in most county towns, those car parks you know, w- would be there and you, you would think that'd be fine to park and, and in. And particularly after 7 o'clock at night. And particularly late at night. So the nice and when there's clamping, a funeral on. The nice clamping man arrived. Was he apologetic? So he arrived and he looked around and kind of went, what's happening here? And everybody went, a funeral. And he then went, oh. And oh, I don't know, was he the guy that clamped us or not? I have no idea. He didn't get into the, the talking much about it. Uh, but he unclamped everybody. And now, it, it did. The, the one thing that worried people, and I, I felt sorry for some people who were extremely worried because you had a lot of elderly people who had travelled from outside the area to Ballincollig. They had trouble paying, first of all, because it's all on your phone. But secondly, it was gone nine o'clock. It was cold. It was dark. They were more worried, like I knew someone was going to come out at some stage and I wasn't overly worried just to get the clamp off the car. But they just thought they'd be there for two hours because when you ring the company, they say it will take two hours before someone comes out. No, it wasn't. It was about half an hour to 45 minutes or so. And by the time you pay in, and because others were ahead of me, he was out in the 30 minutes. Yeah. On his way, yeah. So it wasn't two hours. But you could see the frustration and the yeah. uh, the worry in, in older people who were there thinking they'll be there for the night. And it was a cold night. So Are you going to dispute it? I wasn't initially because in fairness, the signs are there. But yeah. my uh, issue was it was very evident on that night there was a large funeral in Balancolic. It was very evident every car park in Balancolic was give full. A, give a bit of leeway. If there's a funeral in a town, and maybe because we're from uh, county towns, I don't know, there is a leadway usually. But outside of this, again, the car park, if you're going to have a sign up saying you're clamping cars, make make sure the signs are lit up. Find daytime they're lit up, but at nighttime, pitch dark, can't see the signs. If you don't know the area, if you're rushing to a funeral, especially for those close to the person who who had passed away, very upsetting for them to come back and find their car clamped simply because there's no signs or there is signs, but they're not lit up. I mean, they're fine. There's one sign lit up from the main street side, but not from the station road side. Where you and were, that's where, where you we were in. coming from. And in the car park, okay. you can't see I'm them. Not, so I am going to, I, I, yeah, I didn't you? think I, I wasn't going to, but the more I, I spoke to people on it, the more they said you should. So I sent them a, an email um, la, Saturday night. I was working here Saturday afternoon. Sent them an email Saturday night. Haven't heard back yet. Okay. It was go through a claims form online. Uh, I sent in all the details. And my main reason was outside of a, of a funeral, again, it's pitch dark. So, you know, light it up. Yeah, listen, there are lights there, but they're switched off. Yeah. So it it's a mourners for money I wrote in the, <laughs> in, in the email. I said, I love that. Okay. Somehow I don't think have, I'll get much from them, but have you ever it's Apoco, I think is the name of the company. APCO. Yeah, they're, 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 they're the ones that are everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. They're the ones no, there. I've never been clamped before and I've Apco. never received um, Apco. They're up Apco, in the train station. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere, yeah. yeah. They're everywhere, yeah. Uh, and I am yeah. quite careful where I park. I'm not, I just love the car anywhere. Have you ever had a clamp before? No, never. No, no, neither no. have I. No. So All right, okay. First time you, learning thank, experience. Thank you for that. There okay. we go. Uh, sorry, so that's if you're going to Ballincollig, be careful if you're going to a funeral. Okay, thanks for that. That's our own John Paul who will keep us posted if he manages to get his money back from uh, the clamping company. 0818 103 103. He'll be back now taking your calls. Particularly if you've got calls for Annalise, uh, please you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Actually, I've just... Uh, 
Spotted has just got released on Garda Siakona have released their figures. You know their latest recruitment uh, campaign. The closing date for applications was last Friday and we were encouraging people if you wanted a career on Garda Siakona that you might consider it particularly because they've changed the age profile uh, for new members of Garda Siakona and almost 6,500 people have applied to become a member of Angarda Siakona. Uh, figures have just been released and they show 6,381. But the ones we're really interested in, in the older age group, so people aged between 35 and 49, 2,300. So over 36% of the new applicants from Garda Siakona are over the age of 35 and under the age of uh, 50. Now the previous initiative which they ran about 10 months ago attracted about 5,000 applicants so it's up to um, nearly 6,500 so that's a big and it seems that, that the age, upping the age uh, increase from 35 to 50 has certainly had an effect and the Commissioner Drew Harris said the change provided the opportunity for people who thought their chance had passed or who who were considering a change of uh, career. Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice, said that older people, people between 35 and uh, 50, will bring experience and diversity to the force, adding that there was more in line with people living longer and changing jobs more uh, often. Now, the level of applications coming less than a year since the last competition, coupled with the fact that more than 2,000 applicants now are over 35, confirms that there is an interest in becoming a Gardaí. It's still high and it is a job worth uh, doing. Applicants now enter into a very competitive selection process. There's a number of stages. It starts off, I think, with an online aptitude test. Then there's a competency-based interview and, of course, there's the fitness tests that got a lot of publicity in the last few weeks when they got journalists to go and do the fitness test. And we know that the government is committed to bringing the strength of Angarda Siakona up to 15,000. At the end of last year, we were below, just below 14,000. So we know at least a thousand extra Gardaí uh, are going to be needed. And the force says it intends to run recruitment campaigns on an annual basis. The idea of that is to ensure that there is a steady stream of trainees entering the Garda College because, of course, every year you will have a number of people who will retire from the force. So we need to have that steady stream of new trainees uh, coming in to you know, make up the numbers of the ones that were retiring. And unfortunately, it's quite a stressful job as well. We have seen people leaving the force. Re- recruitment uh, recruitment and retention has become an issue with Angar the Siakona. So can we wish the best of luck to the nearly 6,500 people who've applied to be our new uh, Angar the Siakona, but particularly the older ones from 35 to uh, 49. 0818 103 103 questions please for Annalise uh, Drissel. We need to get your questions in because Annalise is going to join me in a couple of uh, minutes. Somebody just listening to John Paul talk about Maraid's granny's funeral says um, APCO car parks are ruthless and God bless Annie Tuig. She was a beautiful woman who reared a large family and she was incredible. This person says fight it John Paul. There, there's parking space in Times Square also. But I think John Paul was making the point when you're just when you're going into an area to go to a funeral, you don't know when you're following the line of traffic and everyone saw this car park and thought it would be okay. 
um, tell your man, your man is our own John Paul, who got clamped, he should get the bus the next time maybe. But again, a bus isn't always going to work, when, particularly when you're travelling to a funeral in an area outside of where, where you live. It isn't always the case that you can get a bus to and from that particular location. 0818-103-103. Your man that was clamped is taking your calls. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic uh, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Lots of questions in. Let's see, can we do our best to get through as many of them as we can? Now, I'm going to put two in together because they're both to do with uh, children and children after COVID. First question, my daughter's 12, had COVID early in January, very bad cough and an ear infection with the COVID. The ear infection got so bad she needed to have an antibiotic at the time. Now she has a very bad strep throat infection as we start into February, very high temperature. She's been on antibiotics for the last 10 days into day five of the antibiotics. And to be honest, the throat is still quite sore. She's very tired, but thankfully her temperature is back to normal. What would Annalise suggest in order to speed up her recovery and to try to boost her immune system going forward. And then there was another listener question for Annalise. Could you recommend something to build up my four-year-old's immune system? She's had COVID three times since last September and also had the flu. She's worn out and extremely pale. Also, if you could recommend something for me, I've, like the child, has had COVID three times and the tiredness is unreal. That's from Paula. So I suppose deal with the children first. So I think what they definitely probably both need a tonic at the moment just to pick them up. So I would do a good kids multi. Um, the source of life gold is what I always recommend for adults and what I'd recommend for this mum as well. But they do a kids one, which is um, the Animal Parade Gold for children. And it's a fantastic tonic. It gives them all their vitamins and minerals. And I'd give them at least a month of that each just to... Build them back up because when they're sick, their appetite wouldn't have been good. So they're definitely probably depleted nutritionally. In terms of immune system, there is a fantastic kids product, which is a mushroom extract. Now, mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms have been used in Chinese medicine for over 2000 years. And we're only starting to kind of get to grips with them in the West here. But they are amazing especially for immune system function. And this uh, is by a company called HIFAS, H-I-F-A-S. And it is a, uh, it's called Dr. Immune 5. And it's a really tasty, palatable drink with mushroom extract in there for kids. And there's nothing quite like it for an immune boost. So for the two littlies, I would definitely recommend that. Um, and then just in the long term going forward, Patricia, we sell buckets of the BioNutri Elderberry Complex. And that's got a combination of immune boosting nutrients in it. And parents put their kids on it at the beginning of September and they swear that it keeps the coughs and colds and the nasties away, um, or at least they don't get them as severely. So prevention is always key with natural medicine. So adults could take that as well for their immune system, this BioNutri, and they do an adult and junior blend. So I would recommend that in, in the long term. But for the short term for the kids, the Animal Parade, Gold, Tonic, and then the Hefas, Dr. Immune 5 for the immune boost. And then for the mum, I'd recommend the Source of Life Gold. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. I, I took it every time I've had COVID. I've taken it after COVID because it's that tiredness. And it's, and it's so hard to explain to anyone. It's just an, you can sleep, have a really good night's sleep and you just still wake up exhausted. It's a horrible feeling. It is. 
it and, and then if you feel okay and you go out and you do a walk or something you're, you're absolutely right, right. Yeah. horrible yeah. yeah yeah okay hi question for Annalise please one of those embarrassing ones I'm suffering from very bla- bad flatulence of late is very embarrassing what could you advise there's been absolutely no change in my diet I've also had about four kidney infections in the past year I'm in my mid 50s and I'm wondering could those kidney infections be related to changes around menopause so I suppose start with the flatulence one first well actually I might start with the menopause because yes it is definitely Um, when you become menopausal with the drop in oestrogen your tissues can dry up and they're a lot more prone to um, to damage and infection and a lot of women would get an increase in kidney infections. So for this particular lady, I'd say she's been taking a lot of antibiotics and the antibiotics have affected the bacteria in her gut and that's probably why she's got flatulence. So in her case, for the short term for the flatulence, what I would recommend is taking a digestive enzyme every time that you eat. That'll just help your own body's ability to break down food so there's less of it available for bacteria to kind of ferment. And I would also take a very good quality probiotic. So we love the, um, there is the um, Nature's Plus have come out with a range of, of probiotics actually and we're getting great feedback on them. So there's the Immune Microbiome is the Nature's Plus one and there's over 18 different strains of probiotic in there and it is really, really good. Um, if you can't get your hands on that, the Udo's 8 is another very good one and they do an adult blend as well. So definitely take a probiotic and a digestive enzyme for the short term. If you do suffer from flatulence and you have to go out, the best thing is the activated charcoal. So you take it before you eat and then you take it again after you eat. And the charcoal actually soaks up the gas. So it means that if you do need to go to an event, that you can be confident that you can go out and you're not going to be worried about being an embarrassment to yourself. Um, So the activated charcoal is not going to fix any problem, but it certainly is a good one. And then in terms of the kidney infections, so what I would recommend for women in menopause is if they find that they have dryness of tissue, I always recommend this sea buckthorn oil. It's omega-7, and it's fantastic for dry eye, dry mouth, vaginal dryness, kidneys, um, but it does take a little bit of time to, to kind of build up in the tissues. So I would certainly recommend that. Possibly consider HRT, and if not HRT, natural HRT. So we get great feedback on the uh, Revive Menoactive is a very good product. I've tried it myself, and I think it's great. And the Bio, uh, the Nutri Advanced is another one. They do a menopause support one, which is fantastic as well. So come, of it, come at it from the sort of support the hormone as opposed to the kidney infection side. Okay, actually, just stay on, on HRT. Somebody says that they're taking oestrogen supplements and is worried, is it harmful for breast cancer? Um, well... I think what they do, they recommend that people who have a family history of breast and cervical cancer, that they're not suitable. So if you have a family history of it, um, you will not be a suitable candidate for HRT. But if you don't have a family history of it, no, it will not increase your risk of breast cancer significantly more than anything else would. Okay, hi Annalise. I'm suffering with a terrible burning in my stomach. Every test from the doctor has come back clear. So the doctor is putting it down to anxiety that's causing the burning. Now I am on antidepressants. I have been for over seven months and I'm finding the antidepressants are really working and are really good. But the burn is back in my stomach again for no reason. What would you suggest? Um, Well, I think that it probably is actually burning in the stomach and sometimes what the doctors will do is they take a look down and if they don't see anything, they say there's nothing wrong. But actually, 
if your stomach lining is exposed at any level and you're releasing acid when you eat, you can get a burning feeling. Certain foods disagree with some people and give them a burning feeling. So I think that's probably the most sensible, um, you know, starting point to try and see can you is, is that it is actually burning in the stomach. So for that, I would recommend taking slippery arm before every single meal. It, uh, the best one, I think, is the BioCare Slippery Arm Complex. And you take a capsule about five or ten minutes before you eat. And it helps to line the stomach um, and prevent, you know, the acid from irritating stomach lining. There's also a product called GI Wellness um, by Nature's Plus, And it's a complete and comprehensive gut kind of healing pro- um, uh, product. You can get it in capsules or you can get it in powder. The powder's better. And that will help if there is any exposed stomach lining in the stomach it will help to heal that so you could try that and then there's another product i always recommend for people for burning and i take it myself and it works brilliantly and it's called zinc carnosin c-a-r-n-o-z-i-n and that helps tighten up that little esophageal muscle at the top so you're not getting any kind of reflux feeling um so i would just do a course of that for one or two months and hopefully that will take care of the problem and if it comes back just repeat it again. And well done for going to the doctor and highlighting that you needed help with the antidepressants because uh, it's a, people can find that very difficult to make that to make that call and go into the doctor and talk about the fact that, that you're feeling down. Ab- <coughs> Sorry, excuse me Patricia, absolutely. Um, always the first port of call because you know what doctors will do blood tests and they'll rule out anything physiological. Yeah. So that's yeah. really important. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, they get a very good short-term benefit from antidepressants. So anything, I listen, I think anything that helps take it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, now, any natural, any natural remedies, please, for hemorrhoids, better known as piles, thanking you. And by God, they can be painful. Absolutely. And, um, I, you know, I suppose they, they uh, what happens with hemorrhoids is that there is generally a blood vessel that has blown out it is often as a result of diverticulitis, constipation. They're all kind of involved in it. Um, and they can become very, very swollen, painful and itchy. So a sign that you have them might be a bit of itching in the back um, or pain or sometimes you might see blood on the toilet paper and that could be a sign that one of them is just slightly damaged and bleeding. So the best thing to do is try and prevent them in the first place. So if you are a person that suffers from constipation, and in my book, Patricia, constipation is if you don't have a bowel movement every day and if you, if you don't, if there's any type of straining at all or if the stool is pebbly. Any of those three um, would, would classify in my book you as being constipated. So you can take natural fibres like psyllium husk is really good. Put a spoon of it on top of your breakfast cereal. It's a great stool softener. And then there's a lovely aloe complex, which is a natural laxative that you can take with some um, aloe vera in there and um, magnesium and rhubarb extract. And that's a very gentle and safe laxative. You take it before you go to bed. You don't need to worry that you're going to be caught short with it. And then in terms of the piles themselves, Dr. Dealish Clare does a great witch hazel cream and we do sell buckets buckets of it, especially to pregnant women. It's very, very effective and it works fairly quickly as well. So that's the Dr. Clare witch hazel cream. Yeah, it was following the birth of my son. I got piles and I will, in all my life, I will never forget the pain of it. Never had it since and thankfully I never will again. Okay, uh, question. I'm a woman in my 70s. Uh, What would Annalise recommend? What dose of vitamin D should I be taking? Thanking you. Very difficult to know um, because there's various different factors in terms of your genetic makeup and your ability to make vitamin D from the sun or absorb it from food, the amount of time you spend outdoors. So the best thing to do is actually get tested. Now, your doctor can test your vitamin D levels for you. 
um, they tend to be a bit reluctant because it's pricey. But we do have tests in the shop here. We have a very basic cheap and cheerful test, which I think is about 13 euros. That tells you whether you have enough or whether you're deficient. And then we have a very good quality test for 75 euros that will tell you exactly how much vitamin D you have and exactly how much you need. So I would definitely recommend getting a test done. Um, And other than that, don't take a high dose of vitamin D. A thousand IU is more than enough for everybody unless you know you need more because vitamin D will increase your risk of calcium, increase your calcium absorption and high levels of calcium in the blood will increase your risk of plaque formation. It can harden the cholesterol in your arteries. So it can help uh, it can increase heart disease, risk of heart disease. So don't so be take careful. too much vitamin D. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, Annalise, thank you for that. And as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks. We'll chat thanks. next Monday. That's Annalise Drussell, the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. All of the information will go up on Annalise's website this afternoon, which is healthhubstore.com. And then John Paul will put it up as a separate podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Talking of John Paul, a lot of outpouring of love for our John Paul about the fact that he ended up getting clamped at raids granny's funeral on a Friday night in uh, Balancolic. Somebody says the APCO clampers are by far the worst. You need to be so, so careful. Therese said, Trish, I'm so glad that John Paul highlighted this. Uh, that car park was lying idle. It wasn't like people were going to the pubs or the shops uh, were closed. I hope he gets his money uh, back and a lot of people saying the same thing. And I love this one from Carmel that says, hi Patricia, I listen to C103 all day, every day so I know all of the presenters. I'm sending this message in the hopes that the powers that be will hear it and refund JP his money on the principal alone. He's a one-stop shop and the only one I know that can cover all of your programmes. He could run the place single-handedly. I think he's brilliant and that's from Carmel. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning for Tuesday's edition of the programme. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With McCarthy. Carthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.